You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and this is our review of Late Night. She was the first female late night talk show host on a major network, winning 43 Emmy Awards. Ladies and gentlemen, Catherine Newberry. Catherine, do you think women are funny? Funny is funny. As long as you're white male and from an elite college, like your writing staff. We need to hire a woman. Would a gay guy work? No. A chatty bitch. So you have no experience in comedy? I'm obsessed with comedy. I do a little stand-up. Where? If you have a problem, ask the chemist. She'll always have the solution. <laughs> uh, you're hired. If it doesn't work out, which you probably won't, you'll be gone. <laughs> Are you okay? I'm so happy. I feel sick. I came to tell you this year is your last. What? Who are you? I'm a new writer. A new female writer. Yeah, I can see that, Brad. Think about why the show is bad. She's coming back. Don't push me. And come up with ways to fix it. The headline of my analysis is complacency. I'll tell you what doesn't work. A newcomer coming in and giving me her assessment of my comic persona. I will not be marginalized because no one here looks like me. She's not trying to silence your strong female woman of color spirit. Hashtag me too, blah, blah, blah. You're a new writer with no experience. Write something. Okay. The show hasn't been good for years. Why didn't you say something? I thought you knew and didn't care. You keep on asking me the same question. I have some jokes for the monologue. Tom Cruise is the same age as me. He gets to fight the mummy. I am the mummy. <laughs> I need you, Ollie, to help me change this show. No more tantrums and no withering looks. Like that one. That's my face. It's like I'm what exactly is wrong with my bits? You're a little old and a little white. What can I do about that? Let me introduce you to a new series, Catherine Newbery, White Savior. I feel like I could never hill a camp. Let's see what we can do about that. I actually didn't need to go anywhere. That doesn't matter. This is how white saviors work. Into the cab. How would you describe Molly? Molly? Molly is... She said that I reminded her of a younger, younger her. Younger me. I mean... <laughs> Shh. Molly. Molly! Molly! Molly, over here! All right, everyone, you were just listening to the trailer for Late Night, and the story is as follows. Catherine Newberry is a pioneer and a legendary host on the late night talk show circuit. When she's accused of being a woman who hates women, she puts affirmative action on the to-do list. And presto, in comes Molly. She is hired as the one woman in Catherine's all-male writer's room, but Molly might be a little too late as the formidable Catherine also faces the reality of low ratings and a network that wants to replace her. Molly, wanting to prove she's not simply a diversity hire who's disrupting the comfort of the all-male writer's room, is determined to help Catherine by revitalizing her show and career and possibly affect even bigger change at the same time. The film is starring Emma Thompson, Mindy Kaling, John Lithgow, Paul Walter Hauser, Reed Scott, Amy Ryan. It is directed by Nisha Ganatra, and it is written by Mindy Kaling. Join me for this review. I have Tom O'Brien. Hi, everybody. And also as a guest here on the Next Best Picture podcast for the first time ever, we have Rosa Power from rosareviews.net. Rosa, how are you today? Hi. Hello, everybody. I am doing great. A bit nervous, but doing good. <laughs> no, no, no. You're doing great. Uh, we're very, very happy that you said yes and that you were able to join us for this here today. Uh, this is a our second uh, podcast film review of this week. Uh, we previously did 
Dark Phoenix, and we are committed this summer to doing two podcast reviews a week. So Late Night is currently in limited release. It will be released in wide release uh, later on this week. So for those of us that have been fortunate enough to see it already, in my case, two times, um, I saw it earlier this year at Sundance, where I absolutely loved it. And I just saw it for a second time again recently. But what about you two? Let's start off with you first. Rosa, you are the guest here. What did you ultimately think of Late Night? Um, I watched this film on Saturday night um, over at the Arclight in Hollywood. Um, I really enjoyed this film. I really liked it a lot. Um, I really enjoyed the story. Um, It had great performances, great acting all around. And I think... Um, Mindy Kalin did an extraordinary job with the screenplay. She did very, very well. And mm-hmm. acting-wise, she was really adorable. And it was really very, very funny, this film. I was laughing a lot <laughs> while watching the movie. And oh, that's really, really great to hear. Tom, what about you? What did you think of Late Night? I I also very much liked it, uh, as, as Rosa did. Uh, the... What I think it pulls off, and it's kind of tricky to pull off, you have a, a really acerbic character uh, in uh, Emma Thompson's Catherine, yet the film surrounding her is very sweet and uh, really has a love of television, or at least a love of what television can be. And that's not easy to pull off, and uh, they do it admirably. And you're speaking also a little bit from experience yourself, Tom. You're a television writer yourself. Yes. And and full disclosure, my my prior job just before signing on to Next Best Picture, I worked in a late night talk show. Oh, so there you go. <laughs> and and a late night talk show that was hosted by the only female in late night. You know, it's very interesting that you bring all that up, actually. I I knew that there were parallels here, but I didn't know that there was uh, this many parallels, actually. (laughs) So I am quite glad that... Uh, I have you on for this one, Tom, and you too, Rosa. I'm glad to have both of your experiences that you're bringing here to the table. Um, I'm very much interested in a lot of the ideas that this movie uh, brings up in terms of it being a diversity in the workplace um, kind of a movie. And I was about to say message movie, because I do feel that maybe that that is some of the criticism that the film is facing a little bit from people is that it's light, it's predictable, and it does kind of beat you over the head with um, all of its current contemporary social messages that it's trying to put out there. I, for one, however, especially when I first saw it at Sundance, I was completely won over by, like you said, Tom, the performances. And I really thought that the performances really went a long way to help uh, this movie over the line. Because another thing that even though, yes, I acknowledge the criticisms of the film, I understand why somebody would feel like it's kind of beating you over the head maybe a little bit too much. At the same time, ask yourself this question. How many movies out there are promoting some of the messages that the film is putting forward? Not many. Exactly. No. So in that regard, I appreciate very much what Late Night is bringing to the table in terms of uh, the workplace. I, I, you know, I, I Speaking from experience, I have worked on a team before that was uh, an all-male team, a small team, mind you. But I know what it's like to be in that kind of like rowdy 
all guys club sort of a you know room where it's like the wild west and seeing uh that portrayed here and seeing mindy kaylee come in and kind of like you know rock the system uh is something that I don't know, for me, just when I'm trying to look for diverse, original, different storytelling, even though it has like very similar beats as other comedies out there, I, I felt that the way it tackled uh, the issues was, like I said, just something that I'm not seeing a lot of other movies doing uh, as, as prevalently. Yes, absolutely. I, I also agree very much with um, what you both guys are saying. I didn't think this film uh, was really hitting me and it was just being like too much of we're talking about the lack of female writers in the industry and we're talking about the lack of diversity in gender and ethnicity or race. I don't think it it was being too it was hitting me too hard with it. Um just like you said, because there's really nothing else out there that's similar to this. It's This is very original. To me, it was very refreshing. It was yeah. really um, um, new and very... I welcomed it. I had no problem with it at all. <laughs> and it's interesting, too, because one of the things that I, I found uh, great about this movie, actually, was how much it not only positioned the ideas it was putting forward in terms of equality within the workplace and also presenting uh, these very complex, strong, uh, written female characters, but also, too, not necessarily condemning um, the other end of that. And, and, and when I say that, I mean the, uh, the, male's, the male writer's room. Instead of saying, oh, fuck these guys, the movie is showing them for who they are but also presenting this message of, hey, you know what? We we can we can work together, you know. And by working together, uh, we can create something better out of this than what behavior and uh, practices you are accustomed to. And I, I think that that's like shown very much in a lot of the conversations that uh, Molly has with these individual actors. Uh, that are in this writer's room. It, it, the one thing, I've, I'm sorry, I'm going off on a tangent here. I apologize. Uh, I want you guys to comment on what I just said there, but I also want to just throw this out there too, which is I feel that the film went to great lengths to show the writer's room, um, each one of the characters, like giving them like identifiable traits to distinguish each one of them from another. But one thing I do kind of fault the movie just a tad bit for is I feel like there were three or four other men in that room that I literally had no idea who they were at all. No. Correct. Like, I, I feel like 75% of them I really got to know, and I actually really enjoyed all of their presence in the movie. Uh, but then there's, like, especially at the end of the film, when she refers to all of them by and her, Emma Thompson, by their real names, I was like, wait, who are those people at the end of the room there? <laughs> I was like, I don't, I don't know who they are. <laughs> yeah, it was... Yeah. It wouldn't have killed them to give each each of those other guys a moment, at least. Yeah. Yeah. I, I didn't even remember the numbers they were given <laughs> at the beginning of the movie. <laughs> Imagine if it was like uh, Reservoir Dogs, you're Mr. Blue, you're Mr. Blonde. <laughs> <laughs> now, I, I, I can't say for sure that a, a regular writer's room is like the one we see in Late Night because... Um, I was not in the writer's room when I, in my experiences, I was always locked outside. But that thing is just tight. You cannot get into the writer's room if you're not a writer. But it does have a, a, a feeling of 
that that kind of camaraderie that guys have that Mil- Mindy Kaling's Molly disrupts at the moment, but these guys are developed enough so that they can welcome her eventually when sh- they see that actually she does have some good ideas. Exactly. And, you know, like I said, on the flip side of that, there's I, I keep coming back to this one scene where uh, I hope I'm getting uh, the actor right here. Nope, I'm definitely not. I don't remember which actor it was that plays him. But there's a scene where uh, one of the one of the writers, the more senior writers, uh, goes up to Mindy Kaling, who's crying underneath her desk. And he just tells her straight up, um, you know, that she needs to suck it up and she needs to, like, get over it. And it's not so much like hey, I'm talking down to you because you're a woman. No, if you want to be seen as an equal, you got to you gotta do what you were hired to do. Right. Impress her. Do the job, you know? And I actually like that the film was more balanced in that sort of a way, uh, where these guys weren't demonized necessarily. Um, and she also wasn't made to be a pushover either. She was resilient, mm-hmm. and she actually comes out of this movie looking, I, I think, the best of all uh, in her final scene with uh, Catherine, where she holds all the power. Completely. Yes. There are no villains in that writer's room. Well, well, what about Hugh Dancy? <laughs> <laughs> He's Hugh Dancy. How could he be bad? <laughs> I love that they're just like referring to him as like, oh, he's so handsome. And it's like, yeah, it's Hugh Dancy. But even Amy Ryan's network executive, who was set up to be a villain, it turns out she's okay. Yeah, you know, and like I said, there are many examples of this throughout the movie where, for example, um, Reed Scott, who plays Tom, he's the monologue writer, as he wants everybody to know multiple times throughout the movie. Of course. He is set up at first to be, I would say, an antagonist to Molly. Yes. And they even have this one um, banter back and forth, like in a hallway together, where... <laughs> I mean, they're just trading insults. And, you know, you say to yourself, "Ah, I know the movie's going to eventually get to a point where they're going to be, you know, okay with each other and they're going to have established trust and everything. Uh, But at the same time, I I like that Mindy Kaling is smart enough to understand how people actually talk to each other. And you know what? Yeah, it is offensive. And yeah, there is something that both... um, the male characters and the female characters all do in this movie that is not what you would think that the heroes of the movie would actually, well, actually outside of Mindy Kaling's character, Molly, mm-hmm. I, I would I would say actually everyone else probably makes mistakes throughout this movie. Um, Molly, uh, maybe maybe Molly does. I don't know. But either way, what I'm getting at here is that the characters are, they're, they're imperfect, you know? They're imperfect, but nobody's outwardly evil. And I, and I really appreciate that because I feel that that's a necessary component of understanding other humans, you know, and having empathy. The, the only villainous character, I would say, is uh, Ike Barinholtz's replacement comedian. Yeah, what did, we, what, did we think of, what did we think of his inclusion in this? Well, I, I could see uh, Catherine... Uh, believing that if this guy replaces her, everything that she has achieved over the last many, many, many years will be forgotten. And uh, he is such an asshole. It's, he's, the actor's very good in it. Um, but it, it does give 
uh, he does provide Catherine with the motivation to fight for her job. Yeah, because he's just such a terrible alternative. Because yes. <laughs> uh, one thing I also like that Mindy Kaling gives to the character of uh, Catherine Newberry is that she exudes excellence and dignity. And she is really committed to her moral values, which is a great thing to give to a character because in the third act of the movie, that kind of gets stripped away. And once again, it's another example of Mindy's writing to show that, hey, as, as perfect as we want our characters, our stories, our own lives to be, there's going to always be imperfections. There's always going to be mistakes. There's always going to be some form of injustice. And it's all about how we handle those when we're presented with them in the moment that separates us uh, from good people and bad people. Okay, I may be in the minority in this, um, but this is like one of the things I wasn't the biggest fan of. Um, I understand um, that the, perhaps Mindy, just like you said, she didn't want all her characters to be perfect. Um, I get it. And perhaps this was the opportunity she had to bring up a um, an issue that um, that's, that's always happened. That's always, I can't even, like, properly say it without spoiling it um, well we can say it's a uh it's a it's a workplace me too uh issue yes mm-hmm. there we go there we go um and perhaps that's why she she included that in there to address it and see um how she would um act and react and what what she, what she would um do about it but personally me i wasn't the biggest fan of that um what happened in the third act um with that specific topic no i want to i want to figure out why that is actually because i'm actually most curious about it mm-hmm. i did think it was probably the most uh, contentious point of the entire movie where i found that mindy i knew what she was trying to say but at the same time i thought to myself you know, there is a way that we've seen this play out with other celebrities in our culture in real life. Mm-hmm. And we've seen how some of them choose to uh, deal with it in the aftermath. And we see how Catherine Newberry decides to handle it. And this, I hope, is not a spoiler alert, but everything com- everything turns out okay. Right. Right? Yeah. And we're just, we're just, as an audience, expected to kind of go along with it. Is it that black and white was it too gray or do you think it's just completely a misfire altogether um i think yeah it was that it was the outcome that it was just i don't know has there ever been like something that happens like that and then they publicly go out and say about talk about it and then just yeah, no, I don't think that was my biggest issue with it. Yeah, and I think that that's probably maybe where it comes from, where I know for me, I'm appreciating how this movie is tackling a lot of the ideas that it's putting forward. And I think it's doing it in that, you know, rom-com, entertaining, movie-like way, where I know that this is not supposed to be, you know, like a microscope under reality, necessarily. I get that. Right. But I think maybe what happens in the end is too much of a neat bow because (laughs) even if – like in real life, if Catherine Newberry did what she actually did on television, 
I don't think there's any way that the upper management, whoever owns the companies and, you know, whoever the ultimate decision makers are, would ever let her get away with it. <laughs> and that's what that's what was rubbing me wrong was I, I, I and I understand, like I said, especially in either romantic comedies or in this case, just, you know, a comedy. I understand that there's, you know, suspension of disbelief and it's just supposed to be entertaining. And look, Mindy wants to teach us, you know, some really good lessons about contemporary uh, modern America in the workplace. I get it. But I thought it might have gone like too far. Yeah, I think it it the reality of, of, of keeping a proper corporate image, particularly if uh, the Catherine Newberry show is on a broadcast network, which I seem to think it would be. It just had that kind of big budget feeling for a talk show. Uh, that would have uh, really been, um, uh, I think, a crisis of, of uh, a PR crisis that they they very well could have accelerated her departure. I mean, but let me ask you this question now. And in all honesty, can you remember any time in recent memory where there was and I'm going to use the exact same example of um, like, I don't want I don't want us to take this to extremes. Like, I don't want us comparing this to like a Kevin Spacey situation. Let's put it that way. Or a Harvey Weinstein. But can you think of something that is a recent example of exactly what Catherine does? OK. And did a celebrity actually publicly come out and then choose to handle it the way that she did? Because in my experience, from what I've ever always seen, it was always the other option yes the other option is she's being uh suggested to do by the network by everybody else in her life and i i've never seen the alternative unless if you can think of a situation i i personally can't because it's it's very much an issue also about power mm-hmm. and Catherine has the power it's rare that we've seen a woman in that position uh usually she is the victim uh and um but Catherine is the one that um, holds all the cards, just like all of the men that have gotten into Me Too situations. So uh, I can't think of a single time this has happened. In, in that sense, I, I thought the film was a bit of a TV fantasy because mm-hmm. we'd like to think it could happen. But uh, I, uh, in reality, I can't think of an instance. Yeah. I don't know, Rosa, is that is that where it lost you with, you know, the believability factor or was it more of the principle? Um, no, the yeah, the believability. I've never I, I just didn't believe it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I get it. I, I get it. Yeah. Um, one, you know what? I, you know, who I think is like the uh, the hidden MVP of this movie, because rightfully uh, Mindy Kaling will be singled out for her writing and Emma Thompson will be rightfully singled out for her uh, leading performance, which I think ranks as one of her best, actually, <laughs> if you ask me. Yeah. Um, but you know who I think is the hidden MVP of this movie? Who's that? John Lithgow. Yes. I was hoping you'd say (laughs) him. He has these wonderful, quiet, tender moments where in a very few short scenes, I really believed his marriage with Catherine so much. And what's funny is that for a large portion of it, he's mostly on the sidelines, cheering her on, giving her support. And, you know, it's a very simple, very simple performance and character um, that, you know, he's he's not in the movie that much. 
But every time that he is on screen with Emma Thompson, those scenes reveal so much about Catherine's personality. And we find out so much about the history of like their marriage through their conversations that I, I just found those scenes to be very affecting. That when you get to the end of the film, I, I have to say the film was it was close. It was super close to getting me uh, emotionally choked up. To be honest, I also got um, choked up because um, I'm gonna get a little personal here, but I can definitely relate to what happened here as I've gone through it uh, myself. Oh, I'm so sorry. So when when um, John Lithgow is saying everything he's saying, and the same thing has been said to me. So I was just, yeah, I just brought back a lot of memories. And yeah, I, I, it just, it was just pure nostalgia. And I did cry during that scene. And I think it's not only the memories, but the acting all overall. It, it hit me hard just because it was very well acted. Yes. Yeah, and speaking of it being well acted, I did make mention before that I think that this is one of Emma Thomason's best performances. I've heard a lot of people compare it to Meryl Streep in The Devil Wears Prada. And I'm not so sure if that's exactly a fair comparison to make necessarily. Um, what did you all think of her performance in this? Because I actually and this might be a spoiler alert for our conversation later on, I genuinely think that she could contend maybe for awards consideration later with this. I think she could too. I, I'm, I'm just curious whether the, uh, the, um, the studio is going to try and split them up and do Mindy Kaling lead and Emma Thompson supporting, but that would be such category fraud. They're both co-leads. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. We spend an equal amount of time with both of them. Uh, Emma Thompson has scenes on her own, as we said, with John Lithgow. Mindy Kaling has scenes with the other uh, male writers on the uh, writing staff. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I don't see how you could call one supporting. No. And and I think Emma Thompson has the scenes. Yeah. 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 Oscar scenes that uh, that can work. Uh, what I what I really liked about her scenes with with Gao is, I mean, the two of them are such pros. You really felt like these people, this couple, loves each other, and that they've been together for a while, and they seem to almost be able to finish each other's sentences. Yeah. No, there was yeah. an established history there that read uh, very very true. You know, what was also something I also really liked about this uh, movie as well was I also genuinely liked a lot of the side characters. I I know I kind of already made mention of that before, but like Dennis O'Hare, somebody who, you know, doesn't really stand out that much in a lot of movies, but he's been in a lot of stuff. Milk, Dallas Buyers Club, um, True Blood, American Horror Story. You know, he's he's been around. He's, He's a classic supporting actor. Mm-hmm. Oh, um, and then there's my uh, my favorite, uh, Paul Walter Hauser. <laughs> I swear, every movie he pops up in lately, I'm just like, yes, yes. He's 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 becoming one of my favorite uh, supporting character actors. <laughs> it's it's extremely smartly cast, uh, which is uh, really lifts the film up. Uh, so that uh, the actors are so good, they feel really do like feel like real recognizable people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What about you, uh, Rosa? Were there any standouts amongst the uh, the cast? Um, 
standout um yeah probably paul walter also um was he in black clansman as well yeah he was i tanya okay Mm -hmm. yeah okay yes yes he was definitely a standout for me i don't know if it's in the script but like that moment when they're all running back to the writer's room because she's coming and he's the one that falls down (laughs) tripping (laughs) it's just so great (laughs) yes yes absolutely um, and Emmy Ryan, even though she didn't have a lot of scenes, um, the ones that she was in, she was pretty, she was very good in them. I wanted more of her, to be honest. Yeah. Really? Yeah, I wanted, oh, I wanted yeah. more scenes with her. Uh, absolutely. Because oh, I thought her scenes with, with uh, Emma Thompson were, were quite strong. Oh, yes. Yeah, she absolutely. Brings, she brings an authority there so that you believe that she's a powerful network executive. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, was the movie funny? To you, uh, because I have to say one thing that I noticed uh, in my two viewings is that this film played a lot funnier at Sundance and I saw it in a full theater recently, completely packed with a general audience, non-critics, and there were a lot of laughs that, you know, chuckle laughs and things like that, but it wasn't like gut-bustingly funny as it appeared to be at Sundance when I first saw it. Sometimes that's the atmosphere of the festival. Yeah. It heightens your emotional reactions to things. Yeah. No, it's true. Festival fever is a real thing. <laughs> Don't let anybody ever tell you any differently. Uh, but but did you guys find that the humor worked? I, I did. I did very, very much. And it, it, I was kind of looking at it in a different way because I was looking for uh, now, do they get this detail right and that detail right? Because I've experienced the real thing myself. Oh, so you've had sit-downs with uh, Seth Meyers? <laughs> <laughs> oh, maybe not that, but uh, but uh, I did do uh, the the show I worked on was Chelsea Handler's show. Oh wow! And yeah, um, and uh, we we were set up to be an antagonists because I was her censor. I remember you telling me this. You were the one with your finger on the button. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. Telling, telling Chance, Chelsea Handler that she can't tell a joke. Um, but eventually we came to an understanding and it ended very, very well. But uh, in, in ways, in some ways, she I could see her being as terrifying to her office staff as Catherine is in this film. Mm. What did you think there, Rosa, in terms of the the comedy, the humor? Did it work for you? Did you feel if it was trying too hard? Was it just, you know, the right level for you? Yeah. Um, to me, it was funny. It wasn't laughing out loud. I didn't come out with the stomach ache or anything from laughing too much. <laughs> but um, no, there was a lot of chuckles. The screening I was in also was quite full. Um, I actually watched it at the Dome, so it was a pretty big screening. And, yeah, everybody was laughing and having a good time. Um, To me, I know there's a particular scene where um, Catherine or Emma Thompson's um, character does, like, a little mini stand-up. That very much worked for me. It worked a lot. It worked a little, to me, it worked a little better than Mandy Kelling's um, scene. but overall, yeah, the humor definitely worked with me. Yeah, I think for me, it wasn't so much the humor. I think it was just more so the witty uh, timing of the writing, some of the banter. 
Uh, there's a lot of really good shutdown lines that Mindy Kaling has uh, uh, against a lot of people that I really, really got a kick out of. Um, yeah. Whenever, whenever anyone tries to call her a diversity hire or something like that, she just is. She she's just so so quick. You know, she is quick to come in with a very good firecracking reply that just immediately shuts down the conversation. You're just like, boom, you go, girl. (laughs) (laughs) I I suspect it'll be the humor that will help uh, the film play with audiences. Yeah, I hope so. Because to be honest, even if this is, you know, like I said earlier at the top of the podcast, even if you think it's a little light, a little predictable, maybe a little too heavy handed, whatever it might be, you can't deny that this is a film that a lot of people should see at least. Um, Maybe, you know, maybe for us, because we are very well aware of a lot of the issues that are being brought up, think about a lot of ignorant people out there who are, you know, they're they're not aware or it just hasn't fully registered for them or whatever it might be. You know, this movie could be a real eye-opener for a lot of people. Yeah, I mean, there may be people who assume that if a woman is the host of a show, then... uh, their writer's room or their staff is filled with diversity and it's really rarely the case. Right. Yeah. And then of course we get to the uh, final shot of, I think it's the final shot of the film, right? Uh, the tracking shot that shows mm-hmm. the office at the end of the movie. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I, I thought that was a nice, brilliant piece of uh, direction there, you know, by uh, Nisha um, who, you know, just looking at her uh, filmography, uh, you know, a lot of work that she has done over the years, but this is definitely, I would say, the most high-profile thing that she has uh, done, uh, other than a few uh, television episodes. And, and you know, as far as like the the pacing of the movie and you know trimming the fat, as it were, I, I feel like this movie moves. Like there there is no point where I feel like the movie ever hits like a slog section where I thought to myself, eh, I would have cut that out. Yeah. It never, it never really dips. Right, right. It had, yeah, it had really good pace. Okay, so we're at the point now where we're going to uh, give the film a grade out of 10. Uh, then we're going to discuss how we think it might do an award season as well. But before we get to that, uh, are there any final thoughts or any notes or anything like that that you mentally or physically took down while watching the film that we didn't get a chance to talk about yet? If not, you can give your grade, Rosa. Go ahead. Um, Yes, just a quick um, note, because I watched this film um, at the Arclight, and there was a QA and a followed after the screening. Yeah, it had Mindy Kaling and Nisha and a couple of the um, cast members. And something that really caught my attention was that when Mindy was writing the screenplay for this film, she was writing it with Emma Thompson on her mind. She wanted her to be in this film. She wanted her to be Catherine and apparently it worked very very well for her and she did a really really um good job in this apparently um Emma Thompson is Mindy Kelly's favorite actress so she um that's why she always uh she was she had Emma Thompson in mind while doing the screenplay um when I did my review in my blog I gave this film an 8.5 out of 10 um I, I normally rate films based on rewatchability and how much I enjoyed the film, if it um, kept my attention or not. <laughs> and for me, an 8.5 is a really good film. Uh, it, it's, it's really good. I might watch it perhaps once or 
twice again in the theater. Um, but is it my favorite film of the year? No. <laughs> but it's definitely a really good time in the theaters. I won't hold this against you because we don't do point fives around here. So oh, okay. It, no, no, no. I won't hold it against you because you know it's your first time on the show. Okay. I I don't like I don't I personally don't like point fives. I make people choose between okay. uh between it. Stick with the eight point five. All right, because <laughs> I, I think that that's a I think that's a solid solid number. And I like your reasoning behind it as well. The rewatchability factor is definitely high on this one, I would argue. So yes. really, really cool. Tom, what about you? No point fives now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I would love I would I'm looking forward to seeing it again myself. Uh, it's it's very enjoyable. It's very smart. Um, I would have given it an eight, but I may be dropping it to a seven because I wish there was just a little more edge to it because I think this could have been a really great film about television. And it's a little bit on the soft side in terms of some of the real problems there. They're mentioned, um, but um, it's it just could have been a little bit better. So I'm going to hold it seven. So it's not network or broadcast news is what you're saying. That's correct. Yeah, I, I get that. I, I, I think that the film is less about the current state of television and is definitely more just about the workplace in general. Yeah. And I think maybe that, I don't know, maybe it is also, there because there's a lot about contemporary late night talk shows. And one of the things I found actually really most fascinating about this was really getting kind of a peak even though it may not be maybe the most realistic depiction, but who knows, maybe it is a realistic peek behind the scenes at what goes into creating these daily late night talk shows, which, you know, especially when they break down from Molly, like, oh, we read the news headlines, we pick out what we think, you know, is relevant and what will work. And, you know, they, they go through it all step by step. And, you know, you say to yourself, okay, like, it's really cool to see the inner workings of everything that's involved in the creative process. Yeah, it, it's you. You really don't appreciate uh, just how much work this is because you slave on an episode all day, then you tape it around six thirty at night and it's done, and then you realize, oh man, I have to do it all over again tomorrow and the next day and the next day to to have a week filled with really quality programming, and uh, it's it's tough. Well, I'm going to quote a bug's life. That's our lot in life. It's not a lot, but it's our life. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> What's the grade there, Tom? I give it a uh, seven. Oh, okay. A little bit lower than I anticipated there. Um, just reiterate for me one more time. Uh, is that just because, I don't know, I didn't really get a sense necessarily of what holds back for you uh, a bit there. I, I really I really think that it um, could have used a little more teeth to it. Uh, yeah, I, I, I'm, I originally, I remember like originally thinking that this was like a nine out of 10 film, but I, I understood that that was festival, he, uh, festival fever, uh, talking to me. And so it is an eight out of 10 movie. It's uh, one of the more enjoyable movies I've seen this year. I think it has something to say. I think it's smart. I think it's actually very unique compared to a lot of other movies that are out there right now, as I was saying before. And, of course, the performances, not just from its two lead stars, but I think the supporting cast, too, is really, really fantastic. You know, this is actually one of my favorite ensemble uh, movies of the year so far, yeah. where I genuinely really like, like I said before, uh, you know, Hugh Dancy, Reed Scott, Max Casella. I 
now remembered his name this time around. Uh, Amy Ryan, Dennis <laughs> O'Hare, you know, Paul Walter Hauser. He's just so funny. <laughs> you know, it's like everybody does a decent job and really brings it together to create what is definitely one of the more entertaining and enjoyable uh, films I've seen this year. And like we said, I, I think now as we transition here into awards talk, the question on my mind with this movie is, is there going to be, you know, studio camp uh, campaign fraud for Emma Thompson? I certainly hope not, because it's very clear that they're both co-leads in this. Uh, but outside of that, do we think that Mindy Kaling's script could show up anywhere throughout the season? Uh, yes. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure in critics awards, but if I think a lot will depend on the box office of the film. If this film can last through the summer, which is a big if, given how um, tough it's been on uh, comedies these uh, this last few months, um, it's. It, I think it does have a, a chance in original. Yeah, yeah. I could definitely see a WGA going for it. Mm-hmm. Well, they disqualify enough things that uh, there's, there's sometimes plenty of room. Yeah. And I mean, Emma Thompson has to be a shoe-in for a Golden Globe nomination at the very least in comedy uh, musical actress. Yeah. Yeah. That... Yeah. I mean, when you look at a lot of her roles, actually, over uh, the last couple of years, she's actually quite an awards magnet in uh, many ways, actually. A lot of people don't seem to, like, realize that, but she actually, I mean, what was the last thing that she was in that she, like, really gained a lot of traction for? It was um, Saving Mr. Banks, right? Yes. You know, and she pretty much ran the gauntlet that season. Uh, unfortunately, she didn't get the Oscar nomination for it, but she was very much in the conversation there. Uh, nanny, uh, well, uh, sense of sensibility. Nanny, was was she in contention for Nanny McPhee? I can't remember actually. Um, no, no. Okay, but uh, but she did get a Globe nomination for Saving Mr. Banks. Yeah, yeah. So. I don't know. She's definitely someone that's well respected within the industry that I could very easily see a lot of industry people really responding to her work here. Mm -hmm. It's it as far as the Academy goes, I think category fraud would be the only way she could realistically make a final five. Or if it's just an incredibly weak year. Yes. Yeah. Which, you know, we don't but know that yet. It doesn't look that way for now, but we'll see. Yeah. What, what do you think, Rosa? Do you think the performance is good enough that forget about competition and everything else that goes into it just on the basis of the performance alone? Do you think that it's uh, worthy enough of awards talk um, for Emma Thompson? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes. At least, um, yeah, like you guys were saying, a Golden Globe at least. Um, but yeah, I also think um, the script might have a really good chance for original script. Um, I think the, the script was very, very well done. Yeah, I, like I said, I think so too. I, I think it definitely, it reminded me a lot of how Sundance seems to be producing uh, like these, like, you, you know, you can always tell there's going to be like this one breakout comedy film that is probably going to play well with audiences. Like last year it was eighth grade. The year before that, it was The Big Sick. I remember thinking Late Night mm. was probably that film. Um, unfortunately... Uh, Big Sick got the Oscar nomination. Eighth Grade came pretty close. And Late Night, I don't know. I, I just feel that the studio may not have had as much confidence in it as um, as I initially thought they should have had in it. 
because it feels like it kind of got dumped here in the summer with very, very little promotion. And I I do worry about it struggling to find an audience. That's why I'm like very happy to actually do this podcast and talk about it because I'm hoping that, you know, people will listen to this and then check it out uh, when it goes into wide release. Coming to a theater near you soon. Mm. Yeah. All right, Rosa. Yes. Tell everyone where they could find you on the internet. Oh, yes. I am on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. <laughs> I am at Rosa's Reviews. And then also on my blog at rosasreviews.net. Rosa is also a uh, member also of the OAFFC. OAFFC. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Online yes. Association of Female Film Critics. And uh, I saw some of her work online and I saw uh, her take on Late Night. Asked her to come on here and I'm really, really happy that I did. And Rosa, I'm very happy to have you on the show for the first time. Hope we can have you back. Oh, my God. I would be honored to be back here. Thank you so much for inviting me and... Oh, my God. I'm very grateful for this opportunity. (laughs) (laughs) No problem. No problem. Uh, Thank you so much. Uh, And, Tom, where can I find you on the Internet? You can find me on Twitter at Thomas E. O'Brien. And you can find me at Next Best Picture. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to our review of Late Night here on the Next Best Picture podcast. You can subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, Player FM, Acast, CastBox, and also newly on Spotify. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Let us know what you think of the show. Rate us five stars. Leave us a comment. It helps for people to discover the podcast. If you like what you're listening to and you want more people to listen, leave that comment, leave that rating. And then if you're feeling very generous, head on over to Patreon for $1 minimum a month. You can get some exclusive podcast content from us. Thank you so much for listening as always. And we shall see you all next time.